James 4, 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brother. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Sometimes you ask yourself this question. Sometimes you ask yourself, where did that come from? So maybe you are in a situation where someone you know, someone you know fairly well, begins acting a tad strange. Maybe some irrational behavior. And you go like, where did that come from? Maybe someone says something and it seems sharply out of character. And you go, I wonder where that came from. There's times even in our own lives where we'll do something. We'll say something. We may let something slip out and we go, where did that come from? There may be a time where we're watching two people disagree and the disagreement seems to be escalating and we're kind of just scratching our heads going, where exactly did that come from? James is really helpful here. The passage that Zach read a moment ago is extremely helpful because that is the very question he is interested in answering. Where do things like that come from? Where do things like that come from? He not only invites us to ask the question, he actually leads us into that path where he, he's going to make us ask the question, make us try to figure out where do things like this come from? If you were with us last week, you saw a progression, and I, I want to revisit that progression that we looked at last week, and it kind of starts with, and you see it there, and we're going to look at both sides of this, but there's a progression that starts with humility, which is basically lining your life up underneath God and His authority, which when you focus on God, then you have time also to focus on others, and you're not so self-absorbed. And, and that means you have wisdom that comes from above. This is a passage in James 3 that we looked at last week, and we receive his wisdom from above, and we have insight into life and how it works. And because of that, we are pursuing our time, our energy to give glory to God and to bless our neighbors. And then there's a result. There's a result that comes, and that result is this harvest of righteousness as James 3 ends. We kind of saw this progression, and yet we're looking at like, where, where, 
Where do things come from? Well, James would say there's this approach to living that is humble. And yet for all of that approach, which is how, exactly how God's people are meant to live, there is another approach. There is another way we can order our lives. And it looks very different. It looks like the exact opposite because it is the exact opposite. There's another progression that I want you to be aware of. And, and look at it there. It's, it's very different, isn't it? So the progression on the bottom says there's an approach that starts off with jealousy towards others, selfish ambition for, for yourself. There's wisdom. So there's like, I figured out how this world works and I'm going to get mine out of it. And, then, and that kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic as James described it. And oh, there's some results with that as well. There's disorder, James says. So life's just a mess. Relationships are just a mess. Nothing's really flourishing. There's not a harvest of righteousness. It's every vile practice. What I find very interesting about James is this is what he doesn't assume. And we need to hear this. He doesn't just assume the top half of that approach is like, yeah, that's all the good people. You know, all the Christians are going to take that approach all the time in life. And then all the bad people, you know, all the non-Christians or at least all the non-churchgoers, they're going to take this other approach. That's not actually the way James talks about it as if the Christians are the ones who always do things the right way and as if those who have not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ, like all they ever do is all kinds of bad things. I know this because James is actually talking to Christians when he is unpacking what our decisions could look like if we're not controlled by God and His Word. He's talking to Christians who live in the same world. I mean, we all live in the same world with the same kind of temptations, the same kind of pressures, the same kind of impulses. And the whole book of James lets us know we need to evaluate. We need to evaluate where things are in our life, where you need to evaluate with, like, do things look more like that top approach with humility, ultimately sowing a harvest of righteousness? Or is it looking like, no, I'm kind of me first and me only and lots of stuff is a wreck in my life. Last week, we left off one section of that slide. We kind of left it blank, and that was, the, that was with the actions. So you kind of see in the middle there, there's wisdom, but it's driving toward results. But that's going to look like behaviors. So that's going to look like you and I doing things, making decisions, making choices. And a lot of times, our relationships, our relationships with God, each other, internal relationships, a lot of that is driving these action. So I want to come back to that question that James is asking in verse 1, and I want us to look and dig down in these verses for a little bit. I hope you have God's Word in front of you. So James, 1, or James 4 verse 1 asks this question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Quarrels and fights in the original language, if we were reading immediately, we would think, oh, those are military terms. And, and the words are such that it's like hostilities that are just kind of rise up, like minor skirmishes. And then there are like long extended campaigns like where people don't get along for a long time. Where did those come from? The quarrels and the fights, the hostilities. James says, Here, here's where it is. Is it not this, that, that your passions, your desires what you want. Your passions are at war 
within you. So as much as I'd like to think, well, here's where it comes from. It comes from this mess of a world I'm living in. James says, actually, there are passions inside of you that are at war. There are things that you want. Deep down, there are things that you're pursuing. Sometimes you'll pursue them even at the expense of each other. Curtis, where, where do these fights come from? Well, here's where they come from. It comes from hearts that, where the, the bodily desires, the fleshly desires are so strong that they're fighting to control. And even sometimes, like, I know what's right to do, but I also kind of want my way. And I know I should respond in this way, but I kind of want to be proven right. And I kind of want people to know something about who I... And so those fights and those wars, those quarrels come from within. James says in verse 2 there, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. I think the language James is using is very similar to the language that Jesus used when he said, you know, if you say to your brother, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, you say to your brother, you're a fool, you're like, it's like you're committing murder in your heart. I think that's what James is saying. I think it's a, it's a figurative reference, but it's no less serious when James says, like, there's something going on in your heart, and you're willing to go to extremes. You're willing to go to extremes because you want something that you don't have. Maybe if James were saying that today he would go, you're killing each other. You're killing each other. Do you realize you're killing each other? by the way you're treating each other, because you want something, because you've got to have it. He says, you covet and cannot obtain. Coveting is like this intense negative feeling that comes because another person has achieved something, another person has succeeded, and you think, well, that should be me, or I wish they wouldn't, and I wish I would. You know, it's, it's coveting. You have these negative feelings, right? You you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You look at someone else's success, and out comes the comment. You can't help yourself. You're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of seeing them get that, and I'm just going to speak my mind. You, out, of, out of coveting, you become vindictive. You lack patience. You're just tired of it, and out comes like, well, I remember what you did, and I'll never forget that. I remember what you did 10 years ago. I remember the thing you said 15 years ago. I remember what you said. Believe me, I've been keeping track of all the things that you've done against me. And out it comes. This is where James says, if you want to know where things are coming, look in your own heart. This is, like, if we slow down just a tad, I, I, I do think these verses have been personally really, really helpful in two ways. And, and I really, really, really would like for every person here to really, like, dig into these verses because I think they can stick with you a long time in life and help you assess things. So I'll tell you one place that it's been very, very helpful. There's times, oh my goodness, there were times this week where I was frustrated, irritated, maybe just mad. And it'd be very easy in that moment to go, okay, what's going on? Why am I so mad? To go, well, I'll tell you why I'm so mad, because they did this, this happened, this happened. It's been 2020. It's, you know, I mean, th- there's all these reasons that are really at my disposal. But yet when I listen to James, I have to ask a different kind of question. Why does this bother me so much? And James will say, because something's going on in your heart, Curtis. You want something and you can't get it. So you're mad. That's what's going on. What did I want? 
What did I want so much? Why did I want it? See, this makes you slow down and go, okay, if there's, if there's like quarrels, if there's fights, if I'm like restless, if I'm out of sorts, then could it be that I need to ask, like, is there something I want? And why do I want it so much? And where did that come, come from? Well, it came from me. You begin to analyze, okay, why do I want this that much? Why was this so important to me? Why was this email a person sent, text they sent, why was this so, so frustrating to me that I stood on it for 36 hours? Couldn't get to sleep because it, it made me so frustrated. Why was it? Is it because there's something I want that I'm not getting? James pushes you to ask that question. I think it's a good one to ask. And not only internally, but it does help you see the world because there's times you enter into the world of others and maybe you understand their world a little bit better. So parenting, if you have, if you have more than one kid in the house, there's going to be quarrels and fights. Where does that come from? Someone wants something that they're not getting. Maybe two people want something that they're not getting. And they fight and they're irritated and they're frustrated. Maybe just below the surface of that office conflict is like, well, I'll tell you what's going on. Someone really thinks they're entitled to something and they're not getting it and they're mad. It does help you kind of pull back a little bit and see, okay, that's why it escalated. You take God's word and you drive it into areas of your life. Use this when you even talk to other people because sometimes... Listen, sometimes we're frustrated, sometimes we're irritated, sometimes people just need to unload on us, and we need space for that. We need space for each other to kind of like, I'm having a tough day, I'm a little, I'm a little frustrated, and you call someone, and maybe they help, maybe you're going to be the one that helps, like, well, there is this passage in James that says, when we want something and don't get it, like, fights, quarrels, frustrations come out of that. Maybe that helps us navigate our heart. Maybe that gives you an opportunity to speak truth into someone's life. As you move on in the passage, it's just interesting to me because it's, it's not even, it's not just saying like when my heart's not in the right place, things are not okay between me and other people. It actually tells me when my heart is not in the right place, there's actually something going on between me and God as well. There's a breakdown and we see that breakdown maybe most clearly when it comes to prayer. That's what James says. James says, you do not have, verse 2, you do not have because you don't ask. In other words, James is saying, you're not, you're not praying. Here's the breakdown. You want to know why your life's like all out of sorts? Because you aren't asking. You do not have because you do not ask. And when Jesus has said to ask, seek, and knock, and we don't, it's telling us something about our hearts. When James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God because he gives to all generously and you don't ask. That tells you something about what's going on in your heart. When Peter says, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you and we don't, we just hold or shoulder the burdens and hold on to them. When we do that, what's going on? It's telling us something going on in our hearts. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask because you recognize your need in the heart of the one asking. That's why a moment ago, Katie led us in, in this beautiful song that says, I need you. Oh, I need you. Bless me now. Because we, we are confessing in that moment. We're saying, I don't have. And so I'm asking. There's something about dependent, depending on the Lord in that way. What does it say when it's gone a week since we've asked God for anything? 
what we're saying, I mean, frankly, what we're saying is either I don't think I need anything that he's got to offer or I can't trust him enough to give me anything good. That's what we're functionally saying when we don't pray. You have not because you ask not. I'll say this every time it rains this hard. It's like, just settle in. No one wants to get out. So I just kind of, that buys me five more minutes, 10 more minutes. So I'm not worried about it if you're not. So let's look at verse three. You ask and you don't receive. So that's a little bit different, right? You, you don't have because you don't ask, but this is different. Say, so, well, I'm, I'm asking. Yeah, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. In other words, James is saying you have selfish reasons and wrong motives. You plan to spend what you get like, okay, I'm going to ask God because if he gives me this, then I can get what I really want in this life. I have this ambition or even this jealousy. And James says, here's the breakdown in the relationship. There's not trust and provision here. That's not why you're praying. You just want to get something. And God's like the genie and he's given you a few requests you can ask. So I'll get it and I'll ask him and the relationship has broken down. Can you see what's going on here? Can you see how the progression works? Can you see where there are fights and quarrels, coveting inside, passions are at war inside of you with God, prayer is non-existent or at least there's no relationship going on there? It's not healthy, we know it. It's spiritually not healthy. You can't live in that land too long without it having like long-term effects. You can't function like that in your walk with the Lord. And James is going to get our attention. He's going to ratchet up the heat even another level because... If you're in that place, he says in verse 4, you adulterous people. It's the strongest, harshest language in all of James. So you're, you're not only a mess and you're not only feeling the effects of your brokenness, you adulterous people, you are breaking covenant here. You're breaking the loyalty that you should have. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility or enmity with God, friendship with the world. Do you think you can have a close relationship with mutual interest? That's what a friendship is. Do you think you can have that and kind of bring God and the world together? And when, when the world is used here, it's, it's the values that are set against God. It's to be friendly with the world means to align yourself with people and forces and things that are hostile to God. James says, if you want to think you can be a friend of the world and a friend of God. He says, don't kid yourself. Verse 4 again, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, whoever has this purpose and intention makes this choice to be a friend of the world, makes himself an enemy of God. Whatever jersey God has on, you put on the opposing one and say, I'm on the other team now. I'm with the world. I, I'm not on your team. That, that is as clear as James can speak. And you can't dabble in both. Where does that leave us? It, it leaves us on a path hostile to God. Can we even revisit the picture? Because we've kind of felt like in the actions we've filled in there, we've seen like here's where, here's where the, 
bitter jealousy, the selfish ambition, the earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. We've seen where this goes. We've seen where the fruit this produces. We understand better why it is disorder and every vile practice. We understand why friendship with the world is hostility toward God. And we go, well, man, I, I can live a lot of my days quarreling and fighting. I can make a lot of decisions with just earthly wisdom, not even taking God into account. Like, I, what do I do about this? And that's where I find verse 6 so encouraging. If I'm on this path that's hostile to God, I get this word. But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God, appro- God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is such a beautiful word there. So, I mean, the picture is one of Curtis clawing, scratching, trying to get everything I want because of selfish ambition and I'm envious of others and I want what I want and I'm going to get it and I don't even think to ask God about it. Or when I do, it's like, give me what I want. And like, what do I deserve there? Do I deserve God's mercy? Do I deserve God's time? Yet grace is the picture of exactly what we don't deserve. What a contrast to like, I'm not getting what I want, so I'm mad, I'm frustrated. Grace recognizes that I didn't deserve any of this in the first place. Anything I do have is a gift from God. This is who he is. This is how he works. In light of that, in light of grace, he gives more grace. He opposes the proud. Oh, but he gives grace. He pours out grace on the, on the humble. Then we start hearing these commands, and they come kind of rapid fire. And there's a bunch of them before we're, we're done with the passage that we're looking at today. So I want you to see these commands, because they do flow out of a relationship. This is not just some mere checklist of like, okay, so what I got to do, check, 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 and everything. It, these flow out of relationships. Submit yourself, therefore, verse 7, to God. Be obedient. Put yourself under the authority. He's greater. He's worthy. He's wiser. So line up your life under him. Don't try to be so independent. Submit to the one who is good and wise and powerful. Line up your life under him. Submit yourself to God. It says also in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What a powerful word. We need to hear it. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Do not do as he suggests. Do not give in. Refuse to listen to him. Just as Jesus, our Savior, resisted the devil. Did not, did not let his temptations win the day. Just as Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 5, there is a devil as a roaring lion. He is looking who he could devour, but you resist him knowing there are brothers and sisters all over the world resisting him. You resist him. What Paul says of like, take on the whole armor of God because there are fiery darts coming at you and they're from the evil one. Resist him. Resist him. Based on what I know of the devil, and we don't have to know like a million things about the devil, but what, what we know of his goals, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. What we know of his tactics, he deceives 
He's always going to try to deceive us into going down paths we shouldn't go down. Pretend like things are better than that. I mean, this is the way he's going to work. In light of all that, resist him. Don't give in. Bring other people into this. Who can join us in this fight? Who can be part of the resistance against the devil? Draw near to God, says in verse 8, and he will draw near to you. I couldn't help but think even as Larry was leading us in worship and as he was describing before we sang Living Hope about this chasm that is between us and God, the picture of like us being this small and, and the sun being, you know, this amazing thing so far away. And, and yet in this passage, this is what is amazing. Draw near to God. Approach God and he will draw near to you. Meet and maintain this close relationship with him. Draw near to him And what he will not do is put you on probation for three months, six months to see if you're really serious about it. And then he might move in your direction. That's not what this says. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Put yourself in a place where you're hearing him speak. Make time to speak to him. Unburden your soul before him. Draw near to God. Draw near to him in worship. Draw near to him in singing. Draw near to him in obedience. Draw near to him in acts of reverence and devotion. Draw near to God. Not only are things going to go on, but our heart's going to move us in other directions. It says in verse 8, cleanse your hands. Hands in the Bible seem to tell us, like, clean up the things that you're doing on the outside that are, are wrong. Cleanse your hands. But don't just stop with, like, outward behavior so everybody thinks everything's okay. Purify your hearts. Go deep with what's going on in your heart. Go deep with the motives that are wrong. Go deep with the with the things that nobody else knows about, but they're driving you. Go deep with the fears. Go deep with the insecurities. Purify your hearts. Don't cover. Don't pretend. Confess. And it's such a call to repentance. It, it comes, as verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I, I don't think that means we can never smile or everything in life is in a minor key, but I do think it's telling us like, in light of the simple world what we live in, in light of the sin that we know is in our own hearts, in light of the judgment that's coming on the world because of sin, like in light of that, confess and turn. Don't be complacent. Yeah, it can be well with your soul, but no, it can only be well with your soul because the Lord has dealt with your sin and turn from that and turn to Christ. Kind of summarizes in verse 10, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will exalt you. Like humble, I need you, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. Acknowledge your greatest need is God. Acknowledge your poverty. Acknowledge your own limitations. Submit to the Lord, whether you're 15 or whether you're 85, say, Lord, my life is not my own. I'm not praying my will be done. I'm praying your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your name be hallowed through this. Not that my name would be great. Lord, you lift me up as you see fit. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. As far as how we treat each other, he would tell us you don't need to quarrel and fight when you're submitted to the Lord, humbling yourself before his grace, before something that's undeserved. You don't need to quarrel and fight. Actually, verse 11 says, do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, like he's right, this is family here. Like we're not going to do that with each other. Do not speak evil against one another. Because the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, judges the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and, and a judge, 
There's only one. You're not him. There's only one, and he is able to save and destroy. But who are you? Well, that's a humbling question. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to go, I'll tell you what's wrong with him and her and them and them. And I'll tell you what's wrong here. Who are you? Don't speak evil against one another. We started this morning with the question like, where did that come from? And James just kind of, I feel like surgically peels that back. Here's exactly where it comes from. Here's exactly where it comes from. It comes from your own passions. When they're not restrained, when they're not changed, when they're not transformed, it comes from your own passions. You desire and you envy and it's me first. Where did that come from? James would say it comes from playing nice with the world and thinking that's okay. A world that's hostile to God going, no, I think I can... Where did this come from? It comes from giving place to the devil, giving him a foothold in your life instead of resisting him. Where did that come from? But there's another way to ask this, like where did that come from? Where did that come from when you are learning to trust? Who gave you the grace to trust? Where did that come from? Who gave you the ability to stand strong and resist the devil? Where did that come from? Who gave you that grace? Who gave you the grace to enjoy an abiding relationship with the Father? Where did that come from? Who gave you the grace to see the brokenness and wickedness of this life? And the ability to go, this world is not what I'm living for. I'm living for something greater. Who gave you that? Oh, I know who. I know exactly where that came from. It didn't come from us. It didn't come from something magical that happens at this church. It came from a father who is a good, good father, who loves to give good gifts to his children, loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. This is, this is the giver of all the gifts. And let's live our life for him. Can I ask us to pray? Can we take a moment and just humble our hearts before the Lord? We actually have words here to know exactly, okay, when we say humble our hearts, this is what we mean. Let's draw near to him. Let's submit to him. Let's go through the work of cleansing our hands, purifying our hearts. Father, I thank you for your grace. We really do thank you for it because when we were selfish and our only ambition was our own agenda, when we were making the dumbest decisions imaginable, applying earthly wisdom that doesn't account for long term, doesn't, certainly doesn't count for eternity, when we looked at our lives and we saw disorder and every vile practice, it is at that moment that you love the world in this way. You came to sinners. And so, Lord, out of our gratitude, we do want to live our lives for you. So as we sing this song, we do sing it as a prayer, an aspiration. We say the only thing I want in life is to be known for following Christ. Lord, that 
That's our ambition. Forgive us where our words are going to outstrip even our, our reality here. But make it so, Lord. We want to live and die for your cause. The cause of Jesus Christ, we ask this in his name. Amen.